Hello, sir. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah. All right. How are things? Um, not bad. I'm packing to get ready. Uh, you leaving what, tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow morning. All right. Well, I will not take uh, too, too much of your time. Um, and, all right. It looks like recording is working fine on my end for transcribing purposes, and I yep. hate transcribing, but it pays, and, uh, and it's an excuse to talk to you. Okay. Um, uh, starting out really, really basic, when, when did you get into reading comics themselves? Was it something from very early on for you? Is it something that you came to later on? Um, uh, super early on. I definitely um, learned to read from reading comics um, um, in part. Uh, but it wasn't something that my mother endorsed. Um, so it was whenever they were around, I'd pick them up and read them. Other kids had them. They'd be at the barber shop when I got dropped off, um, um, to get a haircut, uh, stuff like that. What were the, what were those early comics that you were reading? I mean, was, was Black Panther among them or is he a character that you came to another way? He wasn't, he wasn't amongst their like first wave. My first, my, my first blush of comics experiences, um, is probably a little bit later. I, uh, so my earliest comic book memories is picking up, a. one of them is picking up, a Frank Miller daredevil, um, in a barbershop, um, that either my mom or my dad left me at and black barbershops, you can, you can be there for hours waiting to get your hair cut. Um, and, uh, I was there, and, and it was some, a pile of comics that somebody had left behind, and in them was a Frank Miller um, Daredevil issue, and I think it was, um, it might have been an issue where Roger McKenzie was still writing, who was the guy who was writing when Miller came on board as artist, mm-hmm. and um, it was either him or it was either Miller, but um, uh, it was Daredevil versus Doc Ock, and I remember some of those scenes vividly in my head to this day, and I I don't think I've reread this comic in at least 10 years, if not longer. Um, but yeah, so I, I, the medium made an impact on me from an early age, like the unique combination of, you know, words and pictures and sequential storytelling, like all of that was some, something I glommed onto from a very young age. So how how were you introduced to Black Panther? I, I we've, we've discussed, at least from my end, uh, how... I liked him as a character, but I really got into him with Christopher Priest's um, Marvel Knights run. Uh, but but uh, I was I was a fan before that though. Okay. Uh, yeah. uh, I um my earliest memory of a story with T'Challa was hold on let me find this because I've I've been answering this question a lot in interviews, but I've been fudging the exact issue and here. And here you, you get the the opportunity to be precise. Right. Yeah. Hold on. I get the exclusive. Uh, It was Marvel Triple Action, which was a reprint series um, that would repackage older stories. And it was one where I'm scrolling. Um, the Black Knight, T'Challa, and um, and uh, 
I think it was Division and maybe Clint Barton when he was a giant man, they all had to fight um, Ymir and Surtur. Um, I'm trying to find this issue of the memory of my of a cover. I'm not having any luck. Oh wait, that's that's number twenty-two. Maybe it was one after that. No, it wasn't that. Um, all right. Um, uh, the search is not fruitful. Hold on. Well, it's always troubling with those reprint runs because they're so poorly documented. Yeah, and it was a uh, like from the seventies. Um, um, so yeah, I, I don't even know. Um, um, what it was being. Hold on, let me look at the cover gallery. Hmm. No, that's not it. so weird uh hold on let's try another tactic adventures there it is okay so it was a marvel triple action which reprinted avengers 61 um, I don't know the Marvel Triple Action issue, but it was Avengers 61. Um, Roy Thomas, John Bushima, th- those details I remember without prompting. Um, and, you know, I don't even remember if he took off his mask in that. You know, I don't I, I don't remember if there was anything that identified um, the Black Panther as an actual black man. You know, it was a guy in a really cool looking suit. Um, and the costume was one of the things that struck me. Um, that. Uh, I think it's one of Jack Kirby's best costume designs ever. It's really sleek. It communicates like the idea of him being um, a cat-like superhero. Um, um, Also, you know, the way he was drawn by uh, Kirby and John Bushima in the early years that I encountered him um, was really awesome. You know, he struck poses that other characters didn't. Um, and he spoke in a way that was different than other characters. Not quite as like flowery as Thor, but not like uh, a rough and ready kind of uh, brawler like Hawkeye or Ben Grimm. So he stuck out to me for a bunch of different reasons um, early on. Then, of course, I found out that he was from this fictional African country, Wakanda. That fascinated me. Um, the idea that uh, they'd been hidden all this time and they were technologically advanced. So all that stuff um, fired my imagination from a very early age. When do you feel like you, you really dug into the character as a, as a fan, uh, whether you started collecting, whether you started yeah, particularly started per- following and seeking it out? I started, it was probably in my early tweens, like 10 or 11, when I started to look into back issue, binge, back issue bins um, and started seeking out um, um, the character. Um, I think I was around 10 or 11 when I first read um, a Black Panther story 
written by Don McGregor, uh, with art by Billy Graham. And it was probably part of the, the seminal Panthers Rage storyline that stretched on for like more than a year in jungle action. And I was hooked. Um, McGregor um, was a very verbose writer, um, very, um, you know, maybe the prose you can say was a little bit self-indulgent, but you can see he was very concerned with trying to elevate what a comic book was capable of doing. Um, thematically, his stories were full of tension and rich um, dynamics. Uh, the, the crux of, of Panther's Rage was a long uh, storyline featuring Eric Killmonger, um, who was a guy who um, wanted to kill the Black Panther because his parents died when um, uh, Wakanda was being invaded um, and he was lost kind of as an exile. Um, the tension came from mostly politically. Um, the people of Wakanda were upset that the child had been out being an Avenger, a superhero, and, and been out of the country for so long. Um, and uh, Killmonger uh, took advantage of, of T'Challa's absence to basically mount a bunch of different plots to try and unseat him. Um, and, uh, you know, we saw T'Challa agonizing about how to bring his country forward and preserve his tra traditions, um, remembering his father, being in love with a woman who was not Wakandan and that was frowned upon uh, by the Wakandans. Uh, so, uh, you know, all that rich thematic you know, uh, churning um, really made me want more of that. So that was probably when I really fell in love with the character. Around that time, as you were getting more into comics as a fan, as a collector, did you find yourself specifically seeking out um, stories that 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 that, that touched on representation, that touched on marginalized people, or, or were you kind of omnivorous and were just devouring whatever there was, and it, you know, it was nice if there was something that, that spoke to personal experience. De definitely the latter. It was, it was, I was more omnivorous as a, as a younger reader. Um, it probably wasn't until, um, I encountered Power Man and Iron Fist, um, uh, in the mid to late eighties, um, the run specifically written by Christopher Priest back when he was known as Jim Owsley. Um, he was the first black writer at Marvel and DC. Um, still writing today, uh, one of my idols. Um, uh, after I read his Power Man and Iron Fist, I was like, hey, you know what? The, the, there is something in these characters that can speak to me. Um, I think my previous encounters with black characters, um, wh whether it was Luke Cage or Black Lightning or you know the Falcon, a lot of their appearances felt stilted or um, the fact that they were um, from a different race was um, I think overemphasized or exoticized um, or made to uh, prove some kind of sociocultural political point um, and and um, it felt very like heavy-handed a lot of times and I was young but I could still get that. Uh, in Power Man and Iron Fist it, it didn't feel quite as heavy-handed um, probably because most of their adventures were like classic um, buddy cop um, action romps, uh, and there was social commentary in there, but it didn't feel quite as ham-fisted as elsewhere. 
So you you uh, you mentioned Christopher Priest, uh, who I did want to uh, come back to, uh, and he had he had one of these legendary length runs on Black Panther himself, um, which became more and more rare, especially around the time that he started his run, uh, where you had a writer that was covering multiple years on on a given character. Um, were you were you there from from day one following yeah, him as a writer for Black Panther? Yeah, I was. Uh, 1998, uh, that first issue on the, the Marvel Knights banner, I was there from day one. Um, I don't. I, I think I had put together that Priest was the same guy who I'd loved on Power Man and Iron Fist, and he'd written some other stuff. He was a, a Spider-Man editor for a while, um, and he worked on a bunch of other stuff. So that was probably around the time well, that book was coming out, 1998. I would have been out of college. So... Um, during my late high school years and, and early college years, I really uh, the light bulb went off in my head that I should be following creators and not characters. Um, and uh, you know, I still had some like reflexive buying habits at the time, like buying whatever you know Daredevil book was coming out, no matter whether I actually liked it or not. Um, but with Priest, I knew that um, I, I I could trust his sensibilities. Um, so yeah, I was there from day one with that Black Panther series. Um, and you know, now that I'm writing, uh, the character myself, one thing I realized more so having to execute is that Priest really took the character back to these foundational understandings that Stan Lee and, and Jack Kirby put down. Um, the, the Panther was, um, a cunning strategist. Um, in, in, in Fantastic Four 52 and 53, he says he's been planning years um, for the, his encounter with uh, people from outside Wakanda. Um, and, and, and Priest brought that concept forward and turned um, T'Challa into a master strategist, which makes sense when you kind of extrapolate the logic of the character. He's um, the ruler of a country that stayed hidden for centuries. Um, he and the people that came before him had to have been really um, subtle and stealthy and um, smart with their resources and their footprint. Um, and uh, Priest took that and um, blew out the concept and, and turned the book into what I call a, a, a primary example of superhero statecraft. You, you got to see these big political issues in a fictional universe play out. Um, what would it be like if one country had, you know, a super team of heroes that went all over the world, um, inserting themselves into various melodramas? How would a guy from a hidden country interact with them? He wanted to find out what they were capable of. And that was a great piece of Black Panther lore that Priest put in there, which is that he joined the Avengers to spy on them because he needed to figure out what these guys were up to. And one of the things that uh, that Priest um, did in going back to the, the origins of the character and the foundational layers of, of who T'Challa is and who his people are um, is is really building out the, the Afrofuturism uh, that surrounds everything that is Wakanda. Uh, and it's it's something that that just an issue in on Rise of the Black Panther. You've been doing it's something that that uh, that your colleague, your friend, uh, Mr. Coates, has been doing in the in the core Black Panther series. Um, how how do you feel playing with that aspect of the character from the American perspective? 
Um, um, because I know, you I know, know, you know, there's, there, there is that kind of cross-cultural divide. People like Gene Yang have talked about it, writing new Superman, which is set in China and he's Chinese American, but not Chinese. Right. Well, you know, it, it's funny. I think there's been some conversation of late amongst various creators of color, uh, from the black diaspora about, um, Afrofuturism, what it should center, how it should center it. Um, you know, my first encounters with Afrofuturism were, was as an African-American kind of paradigm. Um, it was specifically a, 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 the stuff I was reading and um, engaging with was a way to bridge the gap, a way to bridge the broken histories that we didn't have by virtue of, um, of, of you know, uh, the Middle Passage and um, Jim Crow, you know, it's it's a tricky thing to trace your past back centuries when you're um, a black person um, in the diaspora. And Afrofuturism, I think, um, began as a way to kind of imagine ways that we could do that. You look at something like Kindred, Octavia Butler's novel, mm -hmm. um, where uh, the main character um, kind of travels back in time to the slavery era of, of her ancestors. Um, you know, and imagines what those experiences were like. Um, uh, Butler, you know, uses metaphor to examine what it's like to have a gap in your history and, and what it's like to inherit, um, you know, an identity that um, has been crafted to demonize you and, and disenfranchise you. So I think Afrofuturism um, comes as a response to those um, realities that black people had to endure over centuries. And um, yeah, Priest created um, uh, a semi-utopia in Wakanda, in his version of Wakanda. Um, there was still political churn and there was political um, upheaval, uh, but it was a land full of wonders and possibilities and promises um, um, that uh, most primarily black countries um, in, in, in the world that we know that, that those things don't exist. Um, and same thing for me, you know, I want to push the envelope in terms of imagining what, hey, you know, this is a country that has an amazing natural resource um, and one king decided to give it away to Captain America. Um, how does that play out across the decades? Um, what is it, how does his son and his son's son deal with that legacy? Um, so those are the kind of things I'm trying to explore. Now, um, I mentioned your your collaborator, your colleague, Mr. Coates, uh, who who needs no introduction. Um, and uh, in, in in describing Wakanda as this kind of uh, you know amazing utopia pocket world, uh, that that's kind of how I feel about the way that he has built out the small corner of the Marvel uh, universe that that he has kind of been curating and caretaking, uh, where he's he's developed spinoff books. You know, one of them in particular touching back on on a series that I know that, that both he and you uh, were very passionate about, The Crew, um, where you know he, he developed a, a Black Panther team book and curated the team that was, that was taking on uh, that title. What, what has it been like working with him and, and the, the, I, the, the kind of haven that he has created for the T'Challa side of the Marvel Universe in comics? You know, I mean, I think... Uh, um, some credit should be given to Will Moss, um, who's the, the editor of the Black Panther main title and Rise of the Black Panther, who's championed um, 
this movement. Um, Sanaa Amanat is an editor, co-creator of Ms. Marvel, um, the Kamala Khan version, and she bought Tanahasi on. Um, those initial conversations happened. So these are people internally at Marvel um, who, you know, have managed to try and stake out um, this territory that 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 um, T'Challa, T'Challa, Tanahasi, and I can operate in. Um, you know, working with Tanahasi is easy. We we've known each other for a long time through a mutual friend, Chris Jackson, um, who's an editor at uh, One World, which is um, a multicultural imprint at Random House. Um, Chris and I have known each other for years. He introduced me to Tanahasi, and um, Tanahasi and I, our, our friendship, you know, kind of um, reignited once he started writing his Panther title because I was a critic. Um, and he was a creator, and we'd talk about, hey, this is what we've loved, this is what we've, um, um, feels like it needs improvement, here are the story possibilities. Um, so it's really, really easy. Um, you know, I'm writing, the, I'm writing this series. Uh, he's consulting, which means, you know, I kind of collaborate with him and uh, make sure that um, we can play off of events happening in each book. Um, but mostly it's just been like, hey, you know, um, here's the thing I'm thinking about having T'Challa doing. You feel like uh, uh, he wouldn't do this or any of that. So um, it's, it's, it's been really fun. So the, the genesis of Rise of the Black Panther, how did, how did the title come to be? Was it something that, that Marvel internally was looking to do? Uh, did they reach out to you looking for, for something for you to pitch and you got lucky and you got, you got the, well, you, you got the heaven and hell of, uh, of, of a first assignment being a legendary character that you have a deep seated love and affection for. Yeah. Uh, how, how'd the book come about? So it's somewhere in between all of those. Um, uh, the short version of it is, um, Will Moss, the editor I mentioned before, um, he, uh, had Tanahasi asked me if I'd be interested in, in, in writing um, a, a Panther title. This is after an interview I did with Tanahasi. Um, um, you know, again, because we have a pre-existing relationship, I was able to go deep on my interviews with him. Um, and uh, we both talked about, you know, how uh, the Black Panther mythos evolves um, and how he was engaging with it. And, and and Will was like, hey, you think Evan, Evan knows his stuff? Do you think he'd be interested? So he asked me, and I said yes, um, after some trepidation, of course. Uh, and, you know, it's funny, the weight of it all didn't really come until after the first issue came out on January 3rd. I was like, oh, this is out. This is real. People are responding to it, reacting to it. Um, I'd have moments where um, I'd be writing and, and it would hit me that like, yeah, okay, you're putting words in Steve Rogers' mouth, you're putting words in, um, in T'Challa's mouth. Uh, but it wasn't until the first issue came out and people started talking about it in social media. When I did a signing um, at Dragon's Lair, I was like, oh, okay, people have really been hungry for this and people are really reacting to it. Um, and you know, obviously the, the larger context of the movie about to come out um, energizes everything. Uh, you know, but it's, 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 it's heavy and it's fun um, at the same time. So the, the weight of it's hit you a bit more, um, as, as it's actually gotten out into the world. Do you find, did, did you find yourself when you took the assignment initially looking at this as, um, as, as an opportunity to do, I, I think uh, we, we've, 
we've discussed a, a little bit in the past how how it isn't isn't like a Batman Year One type of a thing. It's yeah. it's layering in that kind of texture to an origin story that that people people know it. Maybe they know it well, but in the storytelling of it, it hasn't been given this kind of miniseries length texture uh, that the characters really demanded. Um, have you found that there there are aspects that you are really desperate to get in there uh, beyond just fleshing out the story? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. I don't think of this as an origin story. Like, uh, uh, T'Challa's origin is fantastic f- for 52, 53, and I think it stretches into 54 as well. Um, that You see him fight Fantastic Four, you know, take on the mantle of the Black Panther, um, and become a, a superhero, right? Uh, that story has had some tweaks over the years. Um, I'm not really revisiting that. Um, the second issue of this, which comes out on February 7th. Yeah, it comes out the week before the movie, yeah? Yeah. And uh, the second issue of this, um, uh, when it opens, he's already king. You know, So we're not going to see like 14-year-old T'Challa doing stuff. Um, he, this This is a story of him... Um, growing into the role of being a king, um, of him making the decision that he has to reveal Wakanda to the world. Um, the reasons he does that, um, uh, the the methodology of doing that, the consequences of doing that, that's the story that's um, going to unfold over these six issues. Now, we've uh, just an issue in... We've seen uh, we've seen his grandfather Azuri. We've seen his father T'Chaka. We've seen his his birth mother and his uh, his his second mother. I, I, yeah. I think is is the way that I, I like to think of Ramonda. Um, we've seen Zuri. If, if if you had not had Zuri in in the first issue of this series, I, I wouldn't have known who you were anymore. <laughs> um, you know what 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 characters from. Uh, from the from the the Black Panther, you know, cast of of, of friends, allies, and rogues, um, can we expect to see in this series? Uh, that in particular, you you want to be a part of telling this story of of the how and why he revealed Wakanda to the world. Um, so uh, I can I have to be coy because mm-hmm. um, I don't want to spoil anything. But there's a, a, a character from the Kirby run that I've. I'm repurposing um, and kind of reimagining in, in hopefully a, a fun and interesting way. Um, I have some significant appearances by the White Wolf, um, who is the adoptive son, Caucasian son, um, the Caucasian uh, boy that uh, T'Chaka um, saved from a plane crash and adopted, um, a character created by Christopher Priest. Um, uh, who else? I've 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 really enjoyed, just in the first issue what we've seen of the White Wolf, we we've seen him. He's there. He hasn't said a word. He hasn't necessarily done anything. But I love the promise of of him being there and, and what will, you're going to do with him. He'll be saying and doing um, a significant amount. I think he's a fascinating character because um, metatextually speaking, he's an inversion of the Tarzan myth, right? Um, uh, who the, the white guy who lands in deepest darkest but doesn't become the king of the jungle he gets rescued by the king of the jungle um, he becomes um, 
a um, lieutenant of the king of the jungle. Yeah, he's, he's um, like a like a noble vassal, noble retainer kind of thing. Right, and he's you know the only white man in Wakanda. Um, <laughs> what how how is his racial identity lived? Like, what is his sense of it? Um, and he's also an ultra loyalist, right? So uh, I think it's he's a fascinating character. So yeah, um, I, I definitely want to work him in there. Um, and, you know, he's also a part of the family. So, you know, how does that all play out? Um, um, so those are some characters. I'm trying to think who else. Uh, we have, you know, uh, the cover for issue three has been solicited, so I can say that um, the Winter Soldier is going to be a main uh, component of issue three. Um, and, you know, I'll let sh- readers' imaginations um contemplate what a role a character like that could be playing in a story like this um so yeah uh, um definitely dipping into the politically active ideas um that bubble through the marvel universe over the decades um and touching some of that i will say i'm not going to have very much claw if any at all because i feel like um um that's an expected character, um, and I want to defy expectations a little bit. Claw's going to be in the movie. He's probably going to be in some comics. He's already been in some comics um, in the run-up to the movie, and I didn't want to do Claw all over again. Well, I, knowing that you still you have to be cagey, um, is there any aspect of Wakandan society that, that you're touching on that you don't feel has been explored or expanded upon uh, as much as you're delving into it in your series? Um... I feel like I'm trying to think because there's I mean we've already seen some of the kind of palace intrigue kind of stuff that that is that is part and parcel the Black Panther story the Inhumans you know the the just kind of the nature of the characters um, one of the things that I liked so much about the first issue is we really got um, we really got some some relationship time with T'Chaka and Niami um, yeah. which as much Black Panther lore as there is out there, there isn't that much, you know, people falling in love, right. you know, romance kind of stuff that, that we've gotten. Um, you know, what, what, um, so one thing, one thing that I'm trying to do is show in a character like this, in a mythos like this, how the personal and the political intertwine. Um, you know, T'Chaka's reasons for falling in love with Inyami have as much to do with who she is um, as they do with what she can help him achieve. The two are intertwined. Um, T'Challa's decisions to um, reveal what kind of the world and the ways he does it have as much to do with seeing a lack of political sustainability long-term for the country if they remain hidden as much as they do have to do with the fact that his father died in front of his face um, from the hands of outsiders. Um, um, you know, and, and other characters down the line, like they have to, con- their political motivations come from uh, uh, personal context and vice versa. 
Um, and, and that's, you know, it's it's been a hallmark of the character in, in various series before, but I really want to um, dig into that psychologically for some of these characters and um, make it feel uh, resonant. So uh, one, one last thing, as somebody who obviously knows a great deal about the character, has a very uh, deep-seated love and affection for the character, um, if somebody were wanting to get into Black Panther as a comics reader, I mean, of course they're going to be reading Rise of the Black Panther, uh, but where, where else would you say are good starting points for them? Can they just start with issue one of ta run, number one of the Christopher Priest run, all of it? I mean, what, what would you say? I think the Christopher Priest run... Um, um, is a great starting point um, because he there's this subversive edge to it where he um, upends the kind of more vanilla iteration of the character that had been kind of um, hanging around in the fringes of the Marvel Universe. Um, he puts him front and center and he tells you that everything you know about this character um, even if you don't know nothing at all, has been wrong. Um, that's great. Um, but I think, you know, ta run is a good starting point for different reasons because um, he doesn't presume that you know much of what has gone before. Uh, his first story arc, um, A Nation Under Our Feet, you know, pretty much sums up a little bit of the recent past, um, explains how it motivates the present, and goes from there. Cool. Well, um, any any other uh, stuff that is public that has been announced? Any other uh, you know uh, comics writing gigs uh, that that you're eager to take on? Do you do you want to just focus on this one, get this one completely done, or are you are trying you to get this done? Other stuff to do. Trying to get this one done. Good. Good way to be. Good way to be. All right. Cool. I think that is that is uh, more than enough of what I need. All right. And.